Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Peter Vrains, a chemical engineer and serial entrepreneur. Peter's the co-founder of Neutromics, an Australian medtech company revolutionising healthcare through continuous real-time molecular monitoring. They've created an innovative smart patch biosensor platform that aims to solve some of the biggest healthcare challenges we face today in the fields of chronic disease prevention, chronic disease management, acute diseases, and therapeutic drug monitoring. Prior to Neutromics, Peter founded BioCore Technologies and led the team with the development and commercialization of several natural cosmetic skincare brands that were distributed to 1,500 retailers throughout Australia, and the company was successfully sold in 2013. Hey, Peter, how are you going? Good. Good to be here. Thanks for joining. Whereabouts are you joining this conversation from today? Well, from Melbourne, freshly out of lockdown, over 100 days. So enjoying a bit more freedom than we've had over the last few months. Yeah. Are you doing it further than 25 kilometers away from your house or are you? <laughs> no, you're trying to get me in trouble. No, uh, <laughs> no, no. Um, well, the office is in Brunswick. Home is in Oberg. So I, I'm very socially isolated all by myself in an office. Ain't no one coming in. Good. Well, that's good. We'll be able to have an uninterrupted conversation about everything Neutromics and things that you do. But firstly, I want to understand a bit more about yourself, Peter. You've got an interesting background. Tell us a bit more about what you do and, and your background. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a chemical engineer from RMIT in Melbourne. Long term, I think long term now, 17 years entrepreneur. I've developed several brands of products, mainly in skincare, gone full circle. So from the idea to the development, commercialization, brands were in you know, Mire and Priceline, about 1,500 outlets throughout Australia. So relatively good distribution and then eventual sale of the business to a multinational. So it's been an interesting journey to go sort of the full circle. And now very excited to be in the medtech field and applying a lot of the skills that I've learned over those 17 years to Neutromics. Tell us about that. How did you make that jump from doing skincare or cosmetics cross through to medtech? So after I sold the business, I started to create a new brand and really wanted to get heavy into proving efficacy because that's a big thing. Obviously, you know, if you want credibility, you got to prove it. So I was working with a company in Germany on non-invasively measuring carotenoids, which is a measure of skin health in the skin. And it was just, this is just like an evolution. So I went from there to what else can you measure non-invasively, started looking at glucose, Met my co-founder, Hitesh Mehta, at a strategizer event, which is like a, a lean startup event. We had a meeting of the mind, so to speak, around the, the state of healthcare, in particular prevention. It's a funny thing, you know, we lifestyle-related chronic diseases like diabetes and cardiovascular disease, these are huge global problems that are getting bigger. So they are moving fast and they are big problems. They are preventable. But the way that healthcare systems around the world treat them is wait till you get it, essentially, and then we'll treat it. And it's a crazy notion, but that's actually how it worked. That was our meeting of the minds where we started talking about that. Hitesh was on his own journey in medical technologies. I had my path. They, they, they merged, so to speak, at that moment in time. And that's really where Neutromics sort of came about from that moment. Interesting. So often ideas kind of evolve like that. It's not like you woke up one morning and thought about the concept of Neutromics, but it's like step by step, you kind of evolve there. And as you network and meet with other people, then these ideas become eventualities. So yeah, it's yeah, really cool. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And so tell us a bit more about Neutromics then, you know, talked a little bit about the chronic disease and we touched somewhat on it in the bio, but tell us all about Neutromics and what it does and what problem it solves. I'll take it from where I left off before. So where Hitesh and I met, 
we started looking at diabetes as our first market. So we didn't come from, we have a technology looking for a problem. We came from, here's a problem, let's find a technology to solve it. We started researching how do you change, really what we're talking about is behavior, behavior change. How, how do you do that? And one of the founding principles that we employ as a company is broad collaboration. And that it's really the way we progress really quickly. So we find who is the best in the world at X or Y or whatever it is. We find them, we engage them, we bring them into the company. And that way we've really moved quickly. So we just use that process and we said, you know, who's the best in the world at prevention of chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes? And then we engage them. And we started off looking at non-invasive ways of measuring glucose. Because if you look at behavior change, you're talking about one of the most effective ways to elicit behavior change is real-time biofeedback. And that's where we wanted the tech to be able to do that. So we started off looking at glucose non-invasively through optical means. And that was with that company that I mentioned in Germany. There's a whole legacy. There's billions of dollars being spent on that. Every diabetic who pricks their fingers would love to be able to do it non-invasively. We soon learned that's maybe 10 or 20 years that someone might solve that problem, but it's not for us. We then looked at sweat because sweat was another means to be able to do the same thing. Again, found some major issues there. And then we landed on interstitial fluid and using microneedle array. And that's where we've landed. And, and that's a feasible option. And then we evolved from looking at glucose to say, what else can you measure? And we've quickly realized that glucose uses what's called an enzymatic sensor. And an enzymatic sensor is not a platform technology. So in the last 40 years, 50 years of enzymatic sensing, there's about five sensors that have been developed and only one that's been successful. We came across a technology, it's called Aptimus. And these Aptimus are fascinating, but it's biomimicry. It's how nature senses. That's actually where it came from. And theoretically, you can measure anything with an Aptima. The way it works is that it changes shape. Anaptima is a DNA sensor, changes shape in the presence of a particular target. The inventor of that tech, again, using the same methodology, we find the best people in the world, brought him in. We work with, it's a, a US-based inventor. We work with him and his team very closely now, and we're driving this new paradigm in sensing using Aptima's. And it's really, it's the evolution of continuous glucose monitors, which a lot of people are familiar with. So instead of pricking your finger now, a lot of uh, diabetics, especially type ones, use a continuous glucose monitor, and that's an enzymatic sensor. And our tech is the next evolution. So we are continuous molecular monitoring. We're not limited just to glucose. We can do lots of different targets. We can do drugs, metabolites, hormones whole range of things. And that opens up a whole raft of different opportunities for us now to solve problems that up to this point just couldn't be solved. And to do that, how do you do that? Is that a thing that you put inside of somebody or is it on top of them? Or what's the physical thing that enables you to do that? What we have is, is what we call a smart patch. And the smart patch is a two platform technologies coming together. So it's a micro, what we call a micro needle, right? So these tiny little needles, less than one mil, they're pain-free. They don't actually even reach the nerve endings. And on the end of those, we put these after sensors. And that's how we can measure all of these different targets using that method. And so that's the goal. The gold is really two um, platform technologies coming together. Wow, that's cool. And so you mentioned it's glucose right now. Is that what it's monitoring and then has the opportunity to then broaden out to anything? 
Yeah, so so we've developed a glucose sensor. We've proven that on body, but we've pivoted. So the glucose is an enzymatic sensor that's similar, same technology as continuous glucose monitor, CGMs. So we've pivoted to the new tech, CMM, so continuous molecular monitors, monitoring using these APTA, what they call APTA sensors. This is really our, where the, the gold is for us, being able to go beyond just glucose. So if you can measure glucose, and glucose is a, CGMs are a multi-billion dollar industry. So we ask ourselves a question, if you can have a market that big with just glucose, what could you do if you could measure drugs, hormones, metabolites, a whole range of different targets? What could you do then? And that took us in a whole new direction. And we started to discover all these different applications. There's dozens and dozens of different applications, big problems we can solve. Therapeutic drug monitoring, for example, the way that's managed at the moment. Speak to any clinician that, that's doing TDM and I'll tell you how low a bar that is. It is incredibly poor. And it's just because the technology doesn't exist to do it effectively and safely. Our smart patch can do that. So that's just one example. And there's like 40 drugs that are recommended for TDM. And then we have fast-moving disease states. So things like sepsis that moves quickly. So if you come in, you get a blood test. By the time you get your blood results back, the patient's already moved on. They're almost you know, semi-irrelevant. There are things that need to be monitored continuously and in real time, and the clinicians just don't have access to that technology now. So that's the big gap that we're filling in the market with this new technology. And whereabouts are you at with it? You've got prototypes or you're out in the market or it's still a concept. What stage are you guys at at the moment? So we've got on-body data for the glucose. We're about to go to on-body with the APTA sensor. And then we literally have a pipeline of sensors we're developing now. So we will be moving very quickly to get our first market, get into the first market, and then second and third after that. And what about getting the money up to build the business? How have you gone about funding it? Have you bootstrapped it or are you raising capital? Well, the latter. So we're raising capital. So we started really early 2018. We started off getting into a medtech accelerator called the Actuator. And that, with that came a little bit of VC funding. Not, not a lot, but a little bit, but enough to get us to start. Then we went pretty strongly on a couple of grants, um, a multi-million dollar grants. And one's a CRCP. The other one's an IMCRC, Innovative Manufacturing CRCP, CRC. We got both of those. So these are competitive grants. So it's a really good form of validation that there's not too many multi-million dollar grants going around. We'll able to get two of them. So that's a lot. And then we did a capital raise with a, a VC in Sydney, CP Ventures. That was not even your traditional capital raise. Like that was just, we knew the guys from CPV. They saw the progress and they said, we need to talk. We want to invest. And that was it. So we actually never even opened around. It was just, it was just through that relationship that that all came about. We're just opening up around now so to go to the next level. That's awesome. Any company raising funds or building a business in this year of 2020 has been grappling with COVID one way or another. What's that been like for your business? It's better than expected. You know, when, when it first hit, I think every business owner thought, oh God, how's this all going to pan out? Because we just, there was just so much uncertainty. We're doing our development in three hubs, one in the US, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. And we were lucky enough, maybe I'll call it lucky I'm not sure, but we're lucky enough to get it on what's called the essential list, our project. So they deemed it important enough to continue. And in all three locations, we got that. 
So that was really important because you could have just stopped the project basically. And every day you're burning money. That's a disaster for a startup. So that was good. And now what we're doing is centralizing that in Melbourne. So we've got, we're bringing the team to Melbourne. We've got some, you know, really great people in the US coming here as well. And so, yeah, so, so bringing the team together is going to be really exciting. And that, that's sort of imminently happening right now. When you say it was the, sorry, who the important list? Was it the manufacturers that you're working with or is it the, uh, the regulatory so, bodies? Yeah, no, so the, the device itself, the development of the Smart Patch, that project in each of those three hubs was put on. So we work largely with universities. There was a lot of projects that they just stopped because they didn't want 100% of their staff on site. They wanted them at home. So, you know, we can't develop our product all working from home. We're lucky in that respect that they say, look, yeah, we think this is important enough. Put on the essential list and we're going to keep going. Excellent. So you mentioned before you're a serial entrepreneur. You know, you've, you've done 17 years of building stuff up and growing businesses. Well, from your perspective, what makes a successful venture and a successful entrepreneur? Good question. It sounds like a long time, doesn't it? 17 years. <laughs> it's sort of, it's, it's gone pretty fast, to be honest. Like a fine wine. It's aged well, you know. Yeah, okay, I'll run with that one. Fair enough. Um, you know what? you got to love it, right? It's a tough gig. It can be a tough gig. It can be an amazing gig as well. It can be you have highs and you have lows. This is a roller coaster, right? And you have to be okay with uncertainty. I think that's one of the fundamental things is that whenever you do something really innovative, you are taking on by definition a lot of uncertainty. You know, raising money, you, there's no guarantees there. You know, making sure the tech's going to work, making sure there's product market fit, all the things that matter, it's uncertain because you don't have someone who's trodden that path directly before you that you can just copy, right? You're innovating. So you gotta be you gotta have grit and resilience. I think that's a really important trait. You know, entrepreneurs that want to get in and out, make a bit of money, get out, I always think it's probably not the right mindset. You gotta love it. For me, I wanna be doing this when I'm 80. I love this stuff. This is fun. Yeah, I look forward. Sunday night, I'm going, I'm chomping at the bit to get into the office on Monday to make this happen. Building the team, the creative nature, you gotta love that stuff. So it's a lot of mindset, a passion for solving a problem. Like you've got to really resonate with it. And I've got to say, you know, if I look back over those 17 years, I was in skincare for a lot of that. And I enjoyed the creative side. I wasn't passionate, honestly. Like if I had to be really brutally honest, it wasn't my passion. And I've noticed that what we're doing now as a team, I resonate with that. I, I almost feel a moral imperative. This has to happen. There are literally people who are walking around today that will die if we don't produce this product. And it sounds like a bit of exaggeration there, but it's true. When you look at the stats on people that die because they don't have real-time molecular data, clinicians can't make informed decisions, millions of people die from that. Sepsis, 11 million people die every year from sepsis, a fast-moving disease, hard to diagnose. We're talking huge numbers here. So and the team really responds. Well, I think we've been able to get the quality of the people on the team because they just resonate at a deep level that I want this to come to market because I, I understand this problem and I want to fix it. So obviously some practical things, you need a well thought out strategy, you need a crack team that can deliver on it. But really it's the grit and resilience, the passion for the problem. They're the big ones, I think that for the most part, differentiate companies that succeed and companies that don't for the most part. No, I, I would agree with you. And that definitely comes through in, in the passion in your voice talking about the problems that you're solving. And just on the team and building up the right group of people, I noticed that you're co-CEO. So tell us a bit more about that. There are some people who feel strongly one way or another about the concept of a co-CEO. Why have you got two people at the head of the business? 
Yeah, it's a good question because it works. That's a simple answer, right? So for us, Hitesh and I, we have real complementary skills. We can disagree agreeably, if that's the right word. We challenge each other and we can do it in an agreeable way that we're not afraid to do it and we do it actively and we get a better result at the end of it. We found, it's similar to like, you know, Atlassian, they do this, like Mike Cannonbrook, Scott Farquhar, they're, they're co-founders and co-CEOs. It works for them. It works for us. We get better outcomes because of it. Maybe there are co-founders where it wouldn't work because of just personality reasons or for different reasons, but we find that for now it works. And who knows, down the track, as we grow, that model might change and it probably will. But for now, we do what works best. And we've found that having two of us on decisions that matter, right? So on the minutiae, obviously, we separate it. You know, we, we work in areas. But on the big ticket items, it's really nice to bounce big things and really, you know, hammer out the strategy amongst each other. We find that really beneficial. And who knows, you could be like Scott and Mike and buy two big mansions next to each other on Sydney Harbour. Oh, that would be nice. That'd be nice. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? You can dream, right? (laughs) But uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm sure they didn't do that after one or two years. So yeah. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. That's not in our pitch deck, by the way. You know, the numbers when you look at the problems, right? And they're dozens. They're big numbers. It's always the problem with a platform. The great thing about a platform, you got all the options. The worst thing about a platform is you got all these options. It's two sides of the same coin. Like Chris Roberts, for example, is a, on our advisory board, so ex-CEO of Cochlea. And, you know, people like that, we consult really closely with and we get really valuable information. And people you know, like him and others really have drummed in the importance of that's great. You, know, you can do lots of things. Fantastic. Do the first one and nail that. And off the back of that, focus on that. And we've really taken that to heart. And so we've got a real clear focus for the first market. We're really going to make sure we nail that. Even though we have a platform, that's our focus. Laser being focused on that. Yeah, that's part of some of the advantages of just having people like, you know, what he's done for Cochlear is spectacular. Australia's preeminent med tech company. Um, to have him on our side, filling us with the wisdom he's had over the last, you know, 30, 40 years and ResMed, we find that extremely valuable. Super valuable. Now that's great to have that advisory and within arm's reach. So that'll be really valuable. To round things out to that point before about the laser focused and looking forward, what is on the horizon for Neutromics? Well, our first market's for therapeutic drug monitoring with antibiotics. It's, that's a low hanging fruit. We really work closely with a lot of clinicians. They say, if you could do anything, do that because that is the thing we have the biggest problem with. It is a big market in itself. So we're really like a laser beam focusing on that. We're building out our team. We're in the middle of a raise. We just started a raise, I should say, right now. So we're focusing on that. We've got our pipeline of sensors that we're building out. And really, you know, if we look at where this tech can go, what really excites us, I think, is that it unlocks what's called a closed loop system, right? And the best way to describe that is when you look at continuous glucose monitors, to get to the, so I'm not sure if you've heard of the artificial pancreas. So for diabetics, instead of dosing insulin, it's a way of automatically dosing insulin. But to do that, you have to be able to measure continuously glucose. So that was a stepping stone. The, the fact that companies like Dexcom and Abbott and Medtronic actually produced a technology that can measure glucose, then unlocked this second step, which is the artificial pancreas. And so we see that in dozens of applications where we unlock the first step, which is continuously monitoring a particular target, which then the next step after that, and we're talking, this is down the track, 
but it allows for closed loop dosing. So you can dose a drug, uh, monitor and dose a drug and really optimize it. And when you think about, you know, 75% of infusions are incorrect. It's one of the highest areas of medical errors. 75% are incorrect? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, for therapeutic drug monitoring, I often use what's called trough dosing. The trough dosing is that every 12 hours, you take a blood draw, you measure the drug of interest, and you use that as a prediction for the next dose because it's very personalized. So if you and I both have the same amount of an antibiotic, for example, at the site of interest, we'd have very different concentrations. And you have a very narrow therapeutic window you're trying to hit, and you got toxicity above it, and you got your ineffective below it. That's what a lot of clinicians deal with day in, day out. So they're trying to hit this therapeutic window and less than half of the time they do. So imagine you're a patient, you've got a a life-threatening disease and less than half of your doses are in the therapeutic zone. And what's worse is that the risk of toxic events like AKI, acute kidney injury, is a real risk. So you actually come out worse. There are many patients that actually get toxic doses and they come out worse. This is one of those things when you scratch beneath the surface, you almost sometimes you don't want to know because if you ever went to hospital, it'd be in the back of your mind. But yeah, you know, I believe let's shine a light on it and let's let's try and solve it. Big important problems to solve. I love it. There's a clear path to the good outcomes that you guys can bring. So look, I wish you luck with that, particularly with the cap raise as well. There'll be lots of interested parties involved. And I'll be putting more information about Neutromics and everything that you guys are doing so people can learn a bit more about the company within the show notes and blog from this episode. But look, Peter, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Pete. Been, uh, been fun. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.